Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, I'm Dave Berry, and I am fascinated by my next door neighbor. His name is Neil Srinivasan, and he's a leading cardiologist. Whether it's when we're at the park with the kids or maybe at a local restaurant, I've always been left with more questions about his profession than I've had answered. And in The Doctor Next Door, I'll be asking Neil the burning questions that keep me up at night, dissecting medical myths under his watchful eye and doing my utmost to learn more about an industry that is quite literally a matter of life and death. But this podcast isn't just about my own curiosity. Oh, no. You need to be involved in these conversations too. Let Neil be your doctor next door. Email us your questions, your thoughts and your stories. Doctor at nextdoorpod.com. Do that right now. Oh, hang on a second. The doctor's here. Hi, David. Good to see you again. Hey, Neil. Always lovely to see you. How have you been? What have you been up to? I've What's been great. I've been great. It's so lovely and bright. And actually, I've just been across the road. I've been having some um, toast and jam with my good friend, Brooklyn Dan. Oh, we're talking about Brooklyn Dan again, are we? Oh, yes. You wouldn't believe, David. I was talking about sourdough to you the other day. Yeah. Guess who makes the best sourdough in the whole but street? Please tell me he doesn't. Oh, yeah. And not just that. Look at this. He's got a beautiful starter that he's given me. So now I can be my own sourdough uh, hero as well. What's a starter? Why is he giving you a starter? What do you mean he's giving you a starter? So, you know, Brooklyn is is basically making the best. Oh, is that what you call him now? Just Brooklyn? Yeah, just Brooklyn now. Exactly. He makes the best sourdough in the street. Now, I've decided, I mean, I'm I'm just going around his house all the time and he, he gives me loaves of bread now. Uh, once a week, which I, I, I eat because he's You're got so much You're not a stray cat, you know, Neil. Exactly, exactly. And the starter is basically a, a, a sort of the, the starting bits of ferment that are made, that's made without using commercial yeast. And then um, it's sort of like a wild yeast. You can make it without all sorts of things, your own sweat, whatever you like. But, you know, Brooklyn, he makes a special, special So special he's given starter. you the ability to grow your own sourdough exactly like and a so, bready proposal exactly so you keep that and then you gradually let it grow and grow and grow but you keep a small amount in the fridge so it, it's a bit like ghostbusters where that thing gets really really big and yeah. out of control if you don't keep it in the fridge it, it will go out of control and go massive would you like some no <laughs> so last week i told you of my disdain for all things sourdough in the local community and you ran off to brooklyn dan exactly and allowed well, him to give you a starter well it's so exciting because he's just come back from brazil and um, I've missed him so much, as you know. And uh, if you'd like to see, he sent me some beautiful photos of him on the beach here with the Speedos, if you'd like to have oh, a look. I don't want to see Brooklyn down in his Speedos, thank you. I really don't. Well, I'm thinking we should get matching Speedos for our summer holiday together. So, this time round on The Doctor Next Door, Neil, you want to switch it up and you want to get us underway because something very important is happening this month. So absolutely, David. As you know, we're into March. It's getting brighter. It's getting warmer. But March is also um, Prostate Awareness Month. And it's an important piece of men's health that's often neglected. 
We know that, you know, men don't frequent the GP and don't often own up to having, you know, medical problems and medical conditions. And such an important condition that can be screened, can be treated, and is very important for people to make sure that they're checked. Do you know where your prostate is, David? Yes, I do. It's um, kind of just below the bladder. Absolutely. Very good. Mm. Your medical training, um, this, is, this is all going one <laughs> yeah. way in terms no, of your... I've, I've had it checked. Oh, good. It's, it's strange because, I mean, I, I had it checked. My doctor, who's doing the medical, has said to me the last few occasions that you're, you're not at an age where you need to have it checked. But for me, I wanted to have it checked. He respected the fact that I wanted to have it checked. And I think that if I am going to get results from a medical, then, you know, I want the peace of mind that I've had everything kind of looked at the best I can. So getting it checked has been part of my world for a few years now. But he tells me, doctor, and, you know, maybe he's wrong, but it's kind of men over 50, which is the, which is the real kind of danger zone for this. And those men over 50, or if you know a man over 50, listen to this right now, that's where you should be getting it checked. Absolutely. So prostate cancer is very common. It's more common in men over the age of 50 and everybody over the 50, over the age of 50 should be going to their GP and asking to get themselves checked. The prostate is a small gland and it's within the pelvis, as you say, and it's part of the male reproductive system. It's about the size of a walnut. It's located between the penis and the bladder and it surrounds the urethra, that pipe that you pee through. And the main function of the prostate actually is to produce the thick white fluid that creates semen. And, and then that sort of mixes with the sperm to, to, to create the sort of semen together, right? And we don't really know what causes prostate cancer, but as you get older, almost, uh, you know, one in four to uh, one in two men will experience some degree of enlargement of the prostate. There's no one single test for prostate cancer, so we use a multitude of things to help us diagnose it. But they predominantly they revolve around blood tests. So there's a blood test relating to, you know, your prostate looking for raised levels of that. We can also, as you say, you know, have an examination of the prostate. That can sometimes be quite difficult in terms of getting an accurate diagnosis. And nowadays we often use a lot of imaging, so MRI scans, those kind of things, to understand prostate cancer and understand, you know, if it's enlarged or not. And the key really is that it's actually a very slow-growing cancer. So in the early stages, it's often not causing any symptoms, often just requires watchful waiting or surveillance. And that there are treatments available for prostate cancer. So you can have, you know, surgical treatments, you can have radiotherapy for prostate cancer. So it's something that's really important to get checked. And I think something that, uh, you know, we both talked about before, we feel that's very important in terms of promoting in terms of men's health and opening that up. So the prostate is a small gland found in men and trans women. What are the symptoms that people should be looking out for, Neil? Often the symptoms can be quite innocuous and I think it's really important to get checked out. You might feel an increased need to pass urine, some straining when you're trying to pass urine and, and sometimes you might feel that your bladder's not fully emptied. And those can all be subtle signs that there may be something going on with your prostate. It doesn't always mean that you've got prostate cancer. It may be that, that you've got something called prostatitis where there's just an inflammation or infection or swelling around the prostate itself. But I think it's very important to, to get that checked out. So March is Prostate Awareness Month. If you are over the age of 50, you should go and see your GP and get checked out. Or, of course, you can go to the NHS website. So the time has come once again for my medical training to continue. It's a bumpy journey, but one I'm enjoying, and I know you are as well out there. 
So last time out, I got two out of three. I didn't know my toe from my ear hole. That was my problem last time, Neil. Uh, what have you got for us now? Well, I thought you did very well last time. And, um, you know, you've not had any complete disasters so far. So let's see how you get on Touch this me. week. Okay. So your first question is... If you came into my office and after a quick examination, I diagnosed something called bromidosis, B-R-O-M-O-D-O-S-I-S, that's bromidosis, what do you think that could be? Would it be A, smelly feet, B, chronic flatulence, or C, bad breath? That's bromidosis, smelly feet, flatulence or bad breath okay I know we'll obviously be doing the answers next but I'm bad breath is halitosis isn't it so I don't think it's C so okay Okay. I'm liking your medical school tactics it's really taking it on board then your second question is your favourite true or false 50-50 love it the audience love that one too we're all tossing coins exactly yeah yeah. (laughs) so on that theme Viagra I set them up, you knock them down, Doctor. That's how we do it. Okay, yes, Viagra. (laughs) Viagra can make droopy, dying flowers more erect. Oh, wow. Is that true? Or is that false? Okay. 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 And your last question, question number three, is an open-ended one. So, on average, what is the difference in temperature... Between the human body, so that's, you know, the bit where you put your thermometer in your tongue or your ear, uh-huh. the human body and your testicles. So keeping on the men's health theme this week. Yeah. So on average, what is the difference in temperature between the human body and the testicles? Oh, okay. So there are three rather tricky questions for medical training this week, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. We'll be getting the answers next, but first some other podcasts made by our delightful producers. Hello, I'm Jess Phillips, an MP and now for the first time a podcast host. I've always been a prolific letter writer, both the good and the bad kind, and know the power of putting words to paper. My podcast is called Yours Sincerely, and in each episode I invite a guest to celebrate three people that mean the world to them. Someone they love, someone who's no longer around, and someone who doesn't realise how significant a role they've played in their lives. For each guest, they'll reveal why they mean so much to them and how they would sign each letter off. So with that, I'll sign off with yours sincerely, Jess Phillips. I hope you get to enjoy an episode of my podcast soon. So the time has come, as promised, for Dr. Neil to put us out of our misery with the three answers to this week's medical training. Neil, let's start with question one, shall we? David, your first question was, you come to my office and after a quick examination, I diagnose something called bromidosis. What do you think that could be? Was it A, smelly feet, B, chronic flatulence, or C, bad breath? Well, I, I discounted C straight away. Halitosis is bad breath. Very good. So it was between A and B. And I've, I've gone for A. 
Very good. Yes. You're spot on. <laughs> Absolutely. So bromidosis is the medical term for smelly feet. And your feet start to smell when the bacteria in your shoes or on your skin start to break down the sweat. A bit like the um, sourdough from... Oh, don't... <laughs> 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 Brooklyn Dad. <Dan. laughs> you're, you're meant to help people, not make them Being feel produced sick. by your feet, exactly. <laughs> and since bacterial uh, growth is optimal in damp environments, the most effective way to deal with bromidosis is to avoid wearing the same pair of shoes two days in a row uh, so that the pair has enough time to dry out. So trench foot is a is absolutely a thing, right? yeah. yeah yeah yeah, and that'd be why same shoes, damp conditions, yeah, yeah. and constantly wet all it's the time. It's one of the many many things you have to put up with if you find yourself in that situation. Okay, so I've got a point. That's excellent. Very good. Okay, so your second question was a true or false, your favourite type, and the question was about Viagra. Viagra can make droopy dying flowers more erect. Is that true or false? I have gone for. I'm having a. Change of heart, actually. Hmm. I've gone for false. David, David, David. It's true. Oh, I'm afraid. Really? Oh, yeah. Wow. That's a surprise, isn't it? Research, yeah. Researchers have discovered that the small concentrations of the drug dissolved in the vase of water can also double the shelf life of cut flowers, making them stand up straight for as long as a week beyond their usual lifespan. Pele would be proud. <laughs> Okay, so you ready for question three? I've got to make it two out of three in a row. That's, that's the least I can do. Yeah, so uh, question three was a tough one because it was, on average, what is the difference in temperature between the human body and the testicles? So the normal body temperature uh, can range, but the uh, sort of average normal temperature should be about 37 degrees centigrade. Uh -huh. It can range from around 36.1 to around 37.2. And if you have a high temperature, that would be 38 or more. So I was aware of the body temperature being on average 37. That's what I put. I was then going to go and get my daughter's little digital thermometer and press it to my scrotum. But I decided <laughs> that wouldn't be very hygienic. Yeah. Plus no one in here needs to see that. Um, so I've guessed and I've gone, I presume, I don't know why. Yeah. Do you think it would be higher or lower? I presume they're going to be warmer. I presume it's going to be warmer down there. Um, so, but I don't, I don't think it could be massively warmer. So I'm going to go for the difference being two degrees, 39 degrees. Well, David, I don't know what to do here. We have to go to the independent adjudicator of medical schools here because you've got two degrees. Right. But it's lower. It's two degrees lower, not hotter. Oh, one out of three. Yeah. But I'm going to give you half a mark. I mean, the answer oh, actually, is two, two degrees, isn't it? Reread the question for what me, What is please, the Doctor. difference in temperature between yeah, the human... It's exactly. a point. It's a point. It's a point. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. Fair dues. All right. Why do you believe I got that right. Yeah. But, but the wrong way, but Using still right. Using my actual brain. Exactly. <laughs> Incredible. So, um, I mean, you must have heard about, you know, people putting ice on their testicles and things like that to keep it cool, to, yeah, to try cool, and be more to fertile. Cool them down. Yeah, because spermatogenesis is enhanced when temperatures are slightly lower than the core body temperature. So the ability to create sperm is better when your, your testicles are cooler. And that's also why your testicles aren't residing inside your body. They're residing outside your body in, you know, in your testicle sac because they're trying to keep them cool to produce sperm. So the temperature of the testicles is maintained around 35 degrees cent centigrade. And that's about sort of two degrees less than the normal body temperature, which is 37. Okay, so once again, we've all learned something. And once again, I have two out of three. I hope you did well wherever you are. Mm -hmm.
In each episode of this podcast, I'm going to come to Dr. Neil with a burning medical question. From the serious to the strange, we're going to get to the bottom of some of the biggest medical myths and questions. So Neil, let me give you a little bit of a backstory to this. I was re-watching a film the other day starring Robert De Niro and Bradley Cooper. The film is called Limitless. Now, there was a movie that explored similar themes from 2014 named Lucy, which starred Scarlett Johansson. And basically, what it looks at is the fact, as human beings, we only use 10% of our brains. And the way in which sci-fi movie directors have used this is, if we could unlock the other 90%, we would all become superhumans. So, Doctor, do we really use only 10% of our brains? Well, first of all, David, I'm very impressed with your film knowledge. This is um, incredible. I've never heard of any of these things, exactly. (laughs) But I'm afraid it's 100% a myth. Yeah, okay. So it's not true at all that we use only 10% of a brain. You use all of your brain. And the only instances where you might only use certain regions are in cases where, you know, certain areas of the brain are are damaged in any way or something like that, right? But beyond that, most of us are using all of our brains all the time. The myth about the 10%... uh, seems to have arisen from the writings of a psychologist and philosopher called William James in his 1908 book called The Energies of Men. And he wrote, we are only making use of a small part of our possible mental and physical resources. And so that has spawned the whole host of uh, you know, movies and things that we ca- got from there. But actually, it, it doesn't really fit with science. It's not really fit. So modern neuro- neuroscience doesn't... Absolutely, yeah. So, so modern neuroscientists point out a number of reasons why that might be wrong. So brain imaging scans clearly show that you know, when you're you know, doing things like routine tasks, talking, walking, listening to music, all areas of your brain are active. And we also know that you know, the brain is using about 20% of the body's energy. So why would the brain use you know, 20% of the body's energy? It wouldn't make any evolutionary sense um, to utilize so much energy if you're only using a small proportion of your brain. So a, a lot of the data just doesn't fit in terms of imaging the brain and, and understanding the non-functioning aspects. And also from an evolutionary point, it doesn't make any sense in terms of why you'd only have you know, 10% being used yet so much energy expended to keep the brain. Why would you grow such a big brain if you only needed 10% of it? When I asked this question, I was kind of uh, aware that that was going to be your answer. Um, That makes sense to me. And as we know, and I have learned from doing this podcast with you, the human body and the brain is a wonderful thing. And so as you say, it would be working to the best of its capacity. But the interesting thing here are theories like people are either left-brained or right-brained. Is that true? And if you're, and I've heard if you're a left-brainer, it means you're more creative. And if you're a right-brainer, it means you're going to be better at science at school. Yeah, that's interesting. So, Left brain, oh. <laughs> no. So, I mean, is there any truth in that? So that's interesting because I often even say that to, to, to people and to you know, people I see. I noticed, I think your daughter, Evie, is she left-handed? No, she's right-handed. She's, oh, okay. The other day when we went to Centre Park, she was using her left hand. Maybe she's just Ambidextrous. so clever. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, no, the idea that people are right-brained or left-brained is, is a complete myth. It, it's... Obviously, people have different personalities and different talents and different skills, but there's no reason to believe that, you know, one side of the brain is more dominant over the other. The brain is actually in opposites. So, for example, your right-hand side is controlled by the left side of your brain, so like right-hand and vice versa. And so I suppose, you know, if you're left-handed, for instance, your right-hand side of the brain or right-sided part of the oh. brain is 
functioning. Oh, hence why you mentioned EV and that's where, using electricity. Exactly, and that's where the, 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 thir- the term with regard to dominance comes from. But it, absolutely not. The, both sides are working. Both sides have you know, important functions. It's just that you know, whichever side of the hand or whatever you prefer. Um, I read a, an incredible book. I don't know if you've read it as well. It's called Why We Sleep. And there's a whole chapter in there about animals and how the, the example they use is dolphins and how when they sleep, half of their brain stays awake so that they basically don't just sink to the bottom of the ocean, which is just incredible. Yeah. And it's another thing about evolution that, that blows my mind. Yeah. Uh, what about when humans sleep? Because, you know, some people dream more than others. Do, do our brains, do they go into kind of low power mode? Yeah, I think you make a really interesting point. So sleep is a fantastic thing that people have spent a lot of time studying. Sleep has an important role, but not just to reset and rest our bodies from, you know, the cells and our muscles and everything else, but also for the brain. And particularly, you know, our children, for instance, they sleep really long periods of time. That's because they're processing and learning and forming and filing all of the things that they've experienced throughout their day in nursery or playing with us or whatever and so sleep forms an important part of that and that's why you also you dream you dream as part of those processes during sleep you do go through several phases from being you know rousable to very much in a deep sleep Um, you dream in this period called rapid eye movement sleep then within that, what you do is your brain waves actually do slow. So you're absolutely right. You have some changes in the brain waves as part of sleep. And so f- from that side of things, to it's interesting you should mention you know children sleeping for longer. And you, you were talking about uh, Evie using her left hand uh, the other day. When we were pregnant with Evangeline, one of the things we read in the many parenting books that we purchased was that you could play Mozart or any or kind of baroque or classical music into the tummy and you may end up with a child with a higher IQ. Is there any truth in that? Um, I did the same, ironically, okay. <laughs> but there's absolutely no truth in any of it. This is complete nonsense. Yeah, exactly. When my son was born, Rufus was born, and also my daughter, um, Scarlett, I went through this phase, my wife thinks I'm crazy. Um, so, And she's, you know... Very patient lady, actually, I have to say. As, one in a million, uh, as, as one you see, exactly. <laughs> so, so, so I went through a phase, especially in the sleep, where I would have to play them Bach. So I'd have to play them Bach or Mozart, something like that, and think, this is going to be really good for their brainwaves and really good for their sleep. And neither of them took to it. They never slept at all very well with either of that, and none of it's made any difference. So I think it's all just urban myth. We played Evie all kinds of classical music whilst she was in the tummy and when she was very small in a similar way you did with Rufus and Scarlett and she's now three years old and it really has worked because her favourite song the one she cannot get enough of is Believe by Cher Fantastic (laughs) (laughs) So Neil and I got talking and we wanted to use this podcast to celebrate your heroes of healthcare to help shine a light on all the incredible work they do. And we'd love it if you would get in touch and share not only your questions and stories, but also give a kind of shout out to anyone you know from the world of medicine that you think deserves special recognition. You can email us, doctor at nextdoorpod.com, or of course you can find us on the socials at docnextdoorpod. And we have another correspondence for you to tackle this week, Neil. And it's coming from Roy. 
He says, morning, question for the good doctor. Why do our joints and knees in particular click? I have a colleague at work whose knees routinely click when she bends down to grab things. We always have a little laugh that is due to her age, especially she's less than 10 years older than me. But I would love to be able to give her the actual reason next time it happens. Many thanks in advance and keep up the great work from Roy. Well, cheers, Roy. So there we go, doctor. Why do we click in particular in the knee area? So thanks, Roy, for writing. And I think it's a really good question. It happens to so many of us. And even myself always wondered why this happens. I've had clicking in joints since I was in my teens. How about you, Dave? I've got a dodgy left knee. Have you? I've got a clicker of a left knee. Okay. But the rest of me... I've, it's all right, is I've, it? Yeah. No, you're doing better than me, I've maintained relative health elsewhere. Well done. Exactly. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it's just the kidneys of my left knee that are the problem. <laughs> exactly. The problem. exactly. <laughs> well, the good news um, for your colleague, Roy, is actually that joint cracking in general doesn't tend to be a very serious thing. So cracking tends... We don't really fully understand why it occurs, but we think it's escape of gas. So we think that there is some gas within the joint and it's escape of air. So a joint fundamentally is where uh, a, two bones join together, essentially. And it's covered often, the two ends of the bones are covered by this uh, lining called a cartilage to stop the bones actually rubbing. And then there's some fluid in that space between oh, that. Okay. And obviously your muscles support the joint and go over that. So that fluid called synovial fluid lubricates your joint. And the fluid is made of some oxygen, some carbon dioxide and some nitrogen in it. So sometimes as that fluid moves, the gas in there is released and you hear it popping as, as a sort of cracking noise. Now the technical term for that cracking or popping is called crepitus. It comes from the Latin word for rattle. And, um, making a note for future edition making of a, in case training. There's a, there's, a, there's a hidden quiz question to see if you're listening. <laughs> exactly. Now in a study in 2017 actually in the United States, they found, for example, knuckle crackling was reported to occur up to, you know, 40 5% of people in the United States, you know, crack their knuckles. And in that same study, it found that people who had a, you know, habit for cracking their knuckles also had crackly joints in other places. So it may be an inherited aspect of it. There can be some other reasons why joints crackle that can be sometimes more serious, particularly if you have pain when they're crackling. That's not a good sign and maybe something you want to go and see your doctor about. If you've had a recent injury, bones, sprains, tendon injuries, those kind of things, they can contribute to a degree of you know, painful crackling because there's something wrong within the joint that there shouldn't, you know, shouldn't be. And the other thing is that as we get older, we get you know, a condition called arthritis where the joints start to wear, wear away a bit. Particularly that synovial fluid may not be so prominent to sort of buffer the two joints between them as they're, as they're walking and as you're moving. And also, you know, your muscles may not be as strong. And what you may then get is sort of grinding as the cartilage is starting to touch each other on either side, that lining on the edge of the bones. And you may get some grinding across there or tearing of the cartilages that can sometimes cause this kind of noise. And the other thing I get quite a lot in my shoulders and things, having, you know, played cricket and done silly sports, which are probably not good for your posture and good for you, is that occasionally you get large tendons and large muscles, particularly your shoulder, and they tend to kind of flip or, or, or knock across bony structures. So they click as you move around. And that's one of the main reasons you get clicking or knocking around your shoulder as you move around. I get that a lot in my neck as I move my neck around. And some of that is you know, a bit of arthritis as we get older. The neck sort of tends to compress and the joints tend to compress. But some of that's actually ligaments just cracking across the joints as they're moving because they got stiffer over time. 
Uh, Roy, thank you very much indeed for your question. Um, I know that you and your colleague are but whippersnappers, so it's something that she can get looked at should she want to. And that's it for this episode of Dr. Next Door. As ever, thank you to my co-host and next door neighbour, Dr. Neil Srinivasan. Next time, Dr. Neil will again be enlightening me in the wonders of the medical world. I'll have another burning question and we'll be answering more of your questions too. Please rate, review and subscribe from wherever you usually get your podcasts. And if you do know a doctor, nurse or medical professional who you think might like what you've just heard, then please do let them know. Now, I'm feeling rather peckish, so... I'm just going to cut to the chase. Get out of my house.